Once again, just welcome to, to Big Valley Grace, um, especially those of you that are, that are visiting. There are uh, three great themes that run throughout the Bible, okay? Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the first one is this, the first great theme is this, is that God wants you to love him. This is the first and the greatest theme that you find throughout the entire Bible. Deuteronomy chapter six says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. This is without a, a doubt the, the, the greatest theme in scripture. It's the dominant theme. If you were to take the Bible and if you've ever read through it, and hopefully you have, if you haven't, let me challenge you to do that. The dominant theme, literally from cover to cover, is that God wants you to love him. God wants you to honor him. God wants you to worship him. He, he wants you to love him freely, worship him freely. Now the second great theme is this. The second great theme is that God wants you to, to love others. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 it says, God ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Beloved, loving others, caring about others, meeting the needs of others is the second great theme found in scripture. You, you can't miss it. God cares deeply about people. He cares deeply about all people, and he expects you as one of his children to care deeply about people. This is the second great theme that you find in Scripture. Now, about 1,400 years after this was written, Deuteronomy was, was written, a young lawyer came to Jesus and asked Jesus this question. Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And he wasn't just talking about the 10 big ones that we all know, but there were hundreds and hundreds of commands given in scripture. And without hesitation, Jesus said, well, the first one is you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Takes you back to Deuteronomy, doesn't it? This is the first and greatest theme in scripture is that we would love God, that we would worship God, that we would enjoy our relationship with God. But Jesus went on to tell this young lawyer what the second greatest commandment was. He said a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. And so Jesus tells this young lawyer, and it was recorded for us, that the, the greatest thing that we can do with our life is to love the Lord, is to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, to enjoy our relationship with him. And the second greatest thing we can do with our lives is to love other people the way we love ourselves. Now in the culture that we live in today, um, uh, your flesh can get really excited about that. Yes, I get to love people the way I love me. Because our culture today is in love with itself. This is a very narcissistic uh, uh, culture that we live in right now. 
The Bible says that in the end times that people will become lovers of themselves. And boy, we see that today. People love themselves. And what Jesus is talking about here isn't that narcissistic love. It's not a navel-gazing love. Boy, aren't I great? Aren't I special? Look at my abs. Look at my biceps. Aren't I beautiful? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he says that we're to love our neighbor, we're to love others the way we love ourselves, it means this. Is this morning you loved yourself so much that you met a need that you had in your life. You made breakfast for yourself, right? You were hungry. So you loved yourself to the degree that you met a great need that you had in your life and you ate something. And the Bible says that's fine, go for it. Take care of yourself. But you can't stop there. You have to love others the way you love yourself. You have to care about others in the same way. In other words, there are people out there that don't have breakfast. They can't afford it. They didn't eat this morning. And you're to have a heart for them too. In other words, just don't care about meeting your own needs, but care about other people as much as you care about yourself, which is one of the reasons why we're doing these comfort kits. How crummy would it be to be a child in a home that is so destructive and so evil and so wicked that somebody would just come in and grab a young child and say, we got to get you out of here. And they don't have time to grab anything other than a bag full of their own clothes. And then they get taken to somebody's home that they don't know. Here you go. And they don't have anything. They don't have any clothes. <laughs> they don't have anything. This morning when I got up, I walked into my closet after I took my shower and I was trying to figure out what I was going to wear. I had, I had plenty of shirts. I had a lot of pants, you know. And God doesn't care that I have a bunch of shirts and, and pants. He, that, that's not the problem. The problem is, is that if I only care about my own shirts and my own pants and I don't care about anybody else who has nothing, that's crummy. That's sinful. And so for us as a church, it's, it's not okay to, to think about all these children that have no place to go. And we want to give them little, at least a little bag full of some stuff. That, that'd be kind of cool. A little note in there from someone they don't know that says, man, you know what, I'm, I'm praying for you and I hope this bag is, you know, gives you a little bit of peace and comfort. That's why we have our Good Samaritan ministry here. Over 300 new families now we help every month with a whole bunch of food. Over 300 families. And the reason why we have a ministry like that is because it fulfills the, the second great theme in the Bible that we ought to care about other people. And we have all kinds of ministries like that here at Big Valley Grace, that the whole point of it is that we would care about other people the way we, we care about our, ourselves. And every time that little green bag goes by, you're a part of that. You're, you're saying, I care not only about myself, but I also care about other people also. The third great theme is, is this. That God wants you to live a, a life that honors him. And it could be that um, the first two themes are wrapped up in that. But I, I see them differently. 
The first theme that you find in Scripture, the greatest theme is, is that we would love him, that we would honor him, you know, all of that kind of stuff. The, the, the second theme is that we would care about other people. And then the third theme that you see is that we would live God-honoring lives. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Now, if it only said do what is good and what is right, we're all pretty golden, because we could all determine what's good and what's right, right? <laughs> but that's not what the Bible says. God knows us well enough to know that I'm just not gonna leave it up to you to determine what's good and what's right. I will determine that. So God says, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight. Well, how do we know what's in the Lord's sight? Well, it's right here. This is how you know whether you're, you're uh, doing what is good and right is whether you're living this out. You're living a God-honoring life. It's, it's much like, uh, and we'll look at this here in a couple of weeks, but God says, hey guys, I want you to love your wives. Now, if that's all God said, we as men could go, yes, woo! Because we could determine what, what it looks like. But God knew us men well enough, and so he said, no, no, I'm not going to leave that up to you to determine what that love looks like, because he then added this, you're to love your wives as Jesus Christ loved the church. Mm. Oh, man, I wish you just left it up to me. I wish I could determine what that looked like, but God says, no, you don't get to do that. Men, you're to love your wives just as Jesus loved you. Jesus gave his life up for you. He put aside his own needs for you. But he could meet a great need that you had. Deuteronomy 10 says, and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, and that's just an, that just simply means to have a reverential fear. It doesn't mean you're to cower fear. You know, that's not what that word means and live in a way that pleases him. Live in a way that pleases him. Jesus said this, you, Christian, are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under the basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Christian, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. There, there's, there's this idea that we're to live our lives in such a way that it honors the Father. And we don't get to determine what that life looks like. God has determined what that life looks like. Well, but how you live matters. There's a great story found in the Bible about uh, 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 the religious leaders, and, and they brought a, a woman to Jesus that had been caught in the very act of adultery. And it says this in John chapter 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. The crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. 
As he was speaking, the teacher of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. Must have been super humiliating. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and he rode in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped back down and again he rode in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. This is one of the, the, the most beautiful stories in the scriptures. It's one that we as believers need to really understand. Here's this woman caught in the very act of adultery. She was probably a prostitute. She was probably a whore. It wouldn't surprise me if some of these religious leaders hadn't been with her. Any way you look at it, imagine being drugged through the city. Everybody's looking at her, caught in the very act of adultery, so maybe she hardly had any time to put her clothes on. I don't know. And she's thrown down at the feet of Jesus Christ. She is a sinful person. <laughs> Blatantly sinful person. She is doing something that's reprehensible, even for us today. Hey, Jesus, what do we do with her? Sinner. Man, the, the, the law says we're to stone her. That, that's how much God thought about adultery and, and immorality in the Old Testament. Punishable by death. And then Jesus stoops down and he begins to write. We don't know what he wrote. Uh, you know, I like to think that maybe, you know, he saw one of the religious leaders whose name was Billy and he wrote Billy. And then begin to list all of Billy's sins. Oh, there's Tommy. Tommy. Jesus! And maybe they look down and, went, <laughs> you know, yikes. You know, and the, the old guys left first because they're, they're the wiser guys, you know. <laughs> I'm getting out of here. Somebody, somebody cover that up. I got my own sin I got to do. Now, what most preachers, I think, tend to do with this last little phrase here, Go and sin no more, as they make that the focal point of this story. Go and sin no more, you, you sinner! And that's the tone that you tend to get. That is not the tone of this story. When you read this story and you look at the totality of Scripture, <laughs> that is not what's happening here. Here you have this tender moment. Everybody's now gone. He's treating this woman with great dignity, great respect. She's, she's created in his very image, just as you are. 
And the tone is something like this. Look, woman, don't live this way anymore. I've got something so much better for you. Don't, don't waste your life doing these crummy things, these evil things. Don't, don't do that. Go, go. Now get out of here. You, I don't condemn you either. Just go and sin no more. Don't live like that anymore. In other words, go and live a life that honors God. Go and live a life that honors God. God is what Jesus was saying here. And so all throughout the, 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 the scriptures, we see these three great themes. Love God, love others, and live a life that honors God. And a life that honors God, obviously, is a life where we, we don't sin. We don't blatantly just blow God, God off. And by the way, when you do these three things as a Christian, when you fulfill loving God, loving others, and living a God-honoring life, boy, it's a win, isn't it? It's a win for the kingdom. It's a win for your own personal life. It's a win for your family. Everybody wins when you fulfill these three great themes that we find in, in Scripture. Now, for those of you that are visiting with us today, we're in, we're in a series here where we're walking through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, it's really a letter that the apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison to a bunch of Christians that were living in a, in a town uh, called Ephesus. He wrote the letter about 30 years after the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And at some moment, these Christians, 30 years after the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, would have received that letter and they would have read that letter in the church. I'm sure they would have studied that letter. And now it's 2,000 years later and we're doing the same thing. We're just looking at this great letter that, that Paul wrote. And in the first three chapters, Paul reminds the Christians, he reminds you and I of a bunch of really cool things that God has blessed us with. Uh, you're chosen. Uh, your life has been redeemed from the pit of hell, Paul says. Your, your sins have been forgiven. You've been made spiritually alive. God gave you his Holy Spirit to indwell you for forever. God made his power available to you that you might navigate life. God gave you direct access to him. God gave you an inheritance. God is preparing a home for you in heaven when you die. God made you a member of his church, right? Your, your brothers and sisters with other believers. All these things might be called the wealth of the believer. Then when you get to Ephesians chapter 4, the conversation shifts. Paul is no longer going to talk about all these great blessings that we have been blessed with as believers, but he's now going to talk about the walk, if you will, of the believer. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4. See if this sounds familiar. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's one of the great themes that you find in Scripture. It's the third greatest theme. You find it all throughout the Word of God. And Paul gave us a, a, a little taste of what a worthy life looks like. He says it's a humble life, it's a gentle life, it's a patient life, it's a life that bears with one another, it's a life that works hard at keeping the unity. 
It's a life that, that puts on and, and, and uses the, the gifts that God has given them. And then last week we looked at the idea that a God-honoring life is a life that is growing and maturing uh, more and more into the likeness of the Lord. So with all this said, I, I want to read our text for today. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 22. If you have a Bible, if you don't, it's in your notes. It'll be on the jumbotrons, all that kind of stuff, all right? The Bible says, Christian, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Throw it off. Get rid of it. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others that are in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And what I want to do here today, we've kind of looked at this little passage here over the last three weeks. I want to zero in on, on verse 30, okay? Look at verse 30. God says, God's word says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by, by the way you live. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by, by the way you live. Hey, put that back up there. Can you do that? Can you put that verse up there? Uh, that's weighty, isn't it? You know, every single word in this book is God's word. Every single word. E every single bit of this is God's inerrant, holy word. And there's a lot of words in there. But there are some passages, there are some verses that are just, they're just weighty. And this is one of them. Christian, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. It kind of reminds a little bit of the third great theme that we find in scriptures. God wants us to live a God-honoring life, right? Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you're a new creation. You're new. The old is gone, and the new has come. You're, you're, you're new. Jesus said this in John chapter 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is, he's born again. You see, we're all born spiritually dead. Physically we're alive. But there's only one way that you can be spiritually alive is you have to be born again. 
Beloved, if you know Christ as your Savior, you're not refurbished. You're not reupholstered. You're not rebuilt. You're born again. You're new. You're brand spanking new. You're a new creation, and some of you don't get that. You're new. You've been born again. The old is gone. The new has come. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved you so much that even though you were dead, because of your sins, he gave you new life when he raised Christ from the dead. Beloved, you, you've been given a new life. It's almost like um, this diaper I got up here. We all know what this is for. Kind of has one purpose, really. And the Bible kind of teaches that we all had on this diaper. And it was stinky, smelled. There was all kinds of, you know, just junk in it. Our text tonight tells us that lying was in here, right? Verse 27. The Bible says that there was unchecked anger in here. Un ungodly anger was in this. The Bible says that there was stealing in this and there was worthless talk. A life that didn't please God. And the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God took that stinky, poopy diaper off. And he put it in there. And he put a new one on you, if you will. You're new. You're new. All of that old stinky, poopy stuff is in this. But you know what's interesting? This side of heaven, you know what we can do? We can make the decision to go over and pull it out again. We can make the decision to put on this old cruddy diaper, stinky diaper. And we often do it. And God says, don't, don't do that. Uh, I, I put a new diaper on you. You're new. The old diaper's got all this junk and crud in it. I, I, I've gotten rid of it. Why do you keep going back and putting it on? Don't do that. You know, one of the things I think is interesting is even when God puts a, a new one on you, Nobody lives it out perfectly. We can sin and we can mess up the diaper again, can't we? And you know what happens if you don't deal with all the stuff that's in there? Th think about a baby. If you don't change it, what happens? It gets all irritated. It's painful. Stinks up a room. And I think that can be a lot of Christians' lives. You got this sin in your life and it just irritates you, just, just robs you of joy, stinks up a room when you're in there, stinks up your home, stinks up your family, you know? 
And the Bible says this, that if you would confess your sin, that God is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin, take off that old diaper again, and he'll put a new one on you. And the longer you wait to confess your sin, the more irritated you get, you know what I'm saying? always amazes me that it's just possible to go back and put on that old diaper again. And let me just tell you something. You put it on enough times, you'll just get used to it. Some of you, you're there. You've, you've put on the old stinky diaper so often, you're just used to it. The Native Americans used to have this uh, illustration of a, a sharp triangle that was in their heart that whenever they did something that was wrong, it would turn. And that's where the pain, you know, the guilt, oh, your conscious thing, it's how they explained that feeling was every time they did something wrong, the triangle would spin. But they also taught that, you know what, you can have that triangle spin so often that the edges just get rounded and now it can just spin around and doesn't do a thing. Galatians chapter five says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The, 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 the diaper's gonna have this in it. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified him there. The, 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 the question, I, I guess, I, I, I want you maybe to wrestle around with for, for a moment is, what's your diaper filled with? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, good. Or do you see your, your, your diaper filled with all kinds of other stuff? And by the way, you know, you know, but if you're not sure, maybe, maybe you should ask your spouse. Just say, hey, sweetheart, I'd like to know, man, what, what's my diaper filled with? Maybe it's time to take it off, put a new one on. Maybe ask your, your son, your daughter, hey, listen, you know my life. What kind of diaper do I got on? What's in it? Is it stinky? Do I need to get rid of it? You see, I, it could be you've had on that diaper so long, 
You don't even, you've just gotten used to the smell. You've gotten used to the rash. You've gotten used to the irritation. And I know Christians like that. They just had on the old stinky diaper so long. It's like, wow, you don't even see what's going on in your life. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul says, look closely at your lives. Test to see if you are living in the faith. You know that Jesus Christ is in you unless you, 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 you fail the test. Another way we might just look at it is just, ch- just check out your diaper. What's in it? What's in it? Test yourself. Look. See. Now, this brings me back to, to verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. I want to give you three ways that you can either grieve God or grieve the Holy Spirit or or please God. Okay? Three things. What you choose to think about will either grieve God or please God. This has to do with your thought life. In Psalms 94, there's this passage that ought to make everybody a little nervous. The Lord knows people's thoughts. Interesting. He knows your thoughts. Now, your spouse may not know your thoughts. Your children may not know your thoughts. Your parents may not know your thoughts. Your boss may not know your thoughts. Your employees may not know your thoughts. But God knows your thoughts. He knows them. In Matthew chapter 9, it says this, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across a lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think that he's God? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Now here's the deal. There isn't anybody in this room who hasn't had an evil thought. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. We all have evil thoughts at times. In fact, there are some things that run through my mind at times that I would just be super embarrassed to tell you about. In fact, if I were to tell you about some of the thoughts that ran through my mind, you wouldn't be here right now to hear me preach. And if I knew the things that were running through your mind at times, I wouldn't want to preach to you. You know, So it's it's a two-way street here. No, nobody's going to live this out perfectly. But you can grieve God by what you choose to put into your mind, what you think about. Or you can please God by what you choose to think about. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And when you do that and you put into practice 
What's in here? Wow, the God of peace, Paul says, will be with you. There's just a peace that comes over your life when you choose to focus on what is good and pure and right and lovely, all that kind of stuff. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3. He said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and, and God. Beloved, I, I say this all the time, but what you think about matters, which is why I'm constantly encouraging you to read your Bible. Got to read it. But then you got to go a step beyond reading the Bible, and that is you got to study the Bible, and that's different. That is all. Uh, when you study the Bible, that, that includes a number two pencil, if you will, or a pen. You can read your Bible without a pen or a pencil or a yellow pad of paper. You study the Word of God, now you got to have that yellow pad there or whatever. You got to have a pen in your hand. You got you to start kind of thinking about some things. But then you got to go beyond that. Then, then you got to memorize the Word, you got to spend some time. You know, saying, you know what, I'm actually going to take these words that I've been reading and studying, and I want to actually memorize this, 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 this book. And then you got to go beyond all that, and then you got to spend some time meditating on it. And you always have to be careful with, you know, this whole idea of meditation, okay? Uh, I, I, I don't mean, when I, when I say meditate, when the Bible talks about meditation, it doesn't mean you go into some room and, you know, oh. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to clear my mind. I'm trying to make it an, an empty space. That is just crazy. You make your brain an empty space, and Satan will fill it in a hurry. When I talk about meditating uh, on the word, I'm talking about meditating on the word where all of a sudden it's not about how much you, you're reading, it's about, whoa, 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 what did that say? And, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Whoa. Whoa, now you've got this great passage in your mind. And now you're just sitting there saying, God, wow. Am I grieving you, God, somehow? Is there something I'm doing? And you know, it's not about I got, I got to read five more verses. You know, it's about just stopping right there with God's word, and you're meditating on that particular passage. Look, every time you read or study or meditate or memorize your Bible, it fills your mind with good things, honorable things, holy things, things that please the Lord. It, it, by the way, it helps you keep a, a clean diaper on, if you will. Doesn't it? Number two, what you choose to do will either grieve God or please God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says this, do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. A lot of people are out there running around, they're fooled. Those who indulge in sexual sin or those who worship idols, or those that commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or are practicing homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And for some of you, I'm sure you went, whoa, wait, wait a minute, I don't like that. 
Man, you're mean. You look, look, I just read the word of God. We can still be friends. Your problem isn't with me. Your problem is, is what God's word clearly says. But here's the beautiful thing. Some of you were once like that. All of us, at some moment, were probably one, two, three of these things. I was kind of looking at this list this week, and I thought to myself, I was at least three of these. We were all there. And then there's this next great line. But you were cleansed. That's how you used to be. Not anymore. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't even belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price and cost him his son, right? So you must honor God with your bodies, with these one lives that we have. Romans chapter six just nails it. He says, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. First Paul says, don't offer the parts of your body to sin. But then he goes on to say, but rather offer yourselves to God. Sounds a whole like what, like, lot like what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, you're basically saying to God, God, here I am. I'm giving you myself. I'm offering myself to you for whatever purpose you might have for my life. I'm offering you my eyes. I, I want them to only see what you want them to see. I'm offering you my tongue. I only want it to say what you want me to say. I'm offering you my ears. I only want to hear what you want me to hear. I'm offering you my hands. I want them to touch only what you want them to touch, you see. I'm offering you my fingers. I only want to write a post on my Facebook page that honors you. I'm offering you my legs. I want them to take me only where you want them to take me. I'm offering you my mind. I, I want to fill it only with what you want me to fill it with. Beloved, you were once dead in your sins, right? But God has made you alive in Christ, so it's a no-brainer that you would want to offer your body to God. You would want to offer your life to God. You would want to make sure that the one life that you have somehow honors the Lord. It pleases him because the alternative is, is that you offer your body to things that would grieve him, you see. And last but not least, uh, number three, what you choose not to do will either grieve God or please God. This is a lack of actions. 
James chapter 4 says, remember, it's sin to know what you ought to do and then you don't do it. Folks, hey, the, the scriptures have told us a lot of things that God wants us to do with our lives. You see, Christianity is way more than just somehow avoiding sin. You know, whew, I went through the day, you know. Whoo, I got through the day, Roger, I didn't sin. I didn't do anything evil or wicked. Well, that's part of it. But Christianity's way more than just getting through the day and I didn't sin. You, you can do nothing and still sin. If God calls you to do something and you don't do it, it's sin. If Christianity was just simply about avoiding evil, then you know who would make the best Christians? Dead people. Because they don't do anything. But you're alive. And yes, part of the gig is, is to avoid evil, to avoid wickedness, to avoid sin. I get it. But there's the other side of the coin, and that is God has some things he wants you to do with your life. And if you don't do it, it's sin. You'll grieve God. I think another way you could look at what James is saying here in verse 17 or apply it is this. How many of you have ever said something like this? One of these days, you know, I'm going to get serious about God. You know God wants you to be serious about him. Just one of these days, not, not today, you know. One of these days, I'm, I'm really going to surrender my life over to God. You know, one of these days, I'm really going to get committed. One of these days, I, I'm going to start reading my Bible, Pastor. Don't worry about it. One of these days, I will. One of these days, you know, I'm going to start, you know, serving somewhere in the church. What makes you think you're going to get another day? Every time you delay doing something you know God wants you to do, it grieves him. Jesus told a great story in Matthew 25 about a master that had three servants. And one day this master was going to go on a long trip, a couple-year trip. But before he left, he gave one talent to uh, you know, one of his servants. He gave two talents to another servant. And he, he gave um, the, 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 the third guy five talents. And talents were basically just money. Well, the master left and he went on his trip. And when he finally came back, he asked the three servants what they had did with the talents or the money he had given them. And two of the guys had doubled their money, which had made the, the master really happy. But one of the men had taken his talent and simply buried it in the ground. In other words, he didn't do anything with it. And the master called this guy wicked. Why? What made this guy so wicked? Beloved, what made the man wicked was that he did nothing. That's what made him wicked, is he didn't do a thing. He just buried the talent. And you can grieve God as a believer if you don't do anything. If you don't do the things that God wants you to do. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If, if you can help your neighbor now, don't say, hey, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. Here's the deal. I don't know what you keep putting off, but whatever it is, make the commitment to leave this place and, and do it now, especially as it relates to, to spiritual things. Do it now. Don't, don't, don't do it next year or next month or, or next week. If you know that, that God wants you to witness to some friend, do it now. If you know that God wants you to invite a friend to church, just do it now. 
If you know that God wants you to get baptized, do it now. If you know that God wants you to come down here on a Tuesday night to celebrate recovery, do it now. If you know that you're supposed to lead a small group in your home or apartment, do it now. If you're thinking about becoming a member of Big Valley Grace, do it now. If you know that God wants you to start giving a piece of your wealth to the ministry here at Big Valley Grace, do it now. Are you thinking about reading your Bible? I can guarantee you God wants you to do that. Do it now. Are you thinking about spending more time with your wife and kids? Got the feeling God wants you to do that. Why don't you do it now? The Bible says in Proverbs 3, in everything you do, put God first and he'll direct and crown your, crown your efforts with success. Here's the deal. There are three ways you can grieve God. One is by what you think about, one is by what you do, and the third one is by what you don't do. And those of us that know the Lord, one of the highest desires we ought to have is, man, the last thing I want to do is grieve God. So let's make sure we're filling our minds with the right thing. Let's make sure we're offering our bodies to God, that he could use them for his purposes. And then let's make sure that when we know God wants us to do something, we don't procrastinate. Oh, I'll get to it. No, that's sin. Do, do, do it now. Over in the venue, I want you to stand, okay? Everybody in here stand. And I just want everybody to close their eyes for, for just a moment, and Pastor Scott's gonna close, but I, I just wanna just make one last comment here. For me, it's a joy to serve at a church like this because um, this, this is a group of people here whether they come Saturday night, this hour, next hour, who really do a lot of things to please the Lord. Thank you. Thank you for, for loving God and caring about others and living God-honoring lives. It matters. But if you're here and you're struggling with something, man, we've got an altar room. We'd love to have you go into it. Even over in the venue, there's an altar room. and The spiritual leaders of the church are there. They love you, care for you, listen to you pray for you, give you some thoughts, give you some counsel. And maybe as you walk out of here today, maybe there's something that you know God wants you to do and you haven't been doing it. Let, 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 let's change that up. It might be you need to go into the altar room and give an offering. It might mean that you need to look at your spouse and say, I'm going Tuesday night to celebrate recovery. It might mean you walk out here and go to the the, the serve area and say, hey, listen, I need to start serving. I, I know God's calling me to do it. I just haven't done it. And I've grieved him. I don't know what it is. But make the commitment to do whatever it is that God's calling you to do and do it, do it now. Pastor Scott, would you pray?